Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Since We Loud Radio. This is Brandon. I'm joined today by Mountain Carl. Carl, how's it going? Boy, I'm I'm really hoping you didn't catch that uh, that solid burp that I had at the very beginning of the intro. I feel like that <laughs> would be a really professional move. Now I'm uh, right now I'm enjoying myself a St. Arnold's Ye Old Christmas Ale, which claims to be rich and cheerful. Mm. The jury's out. Yeah. So we'll find out here. I'll give you my my honest opinion of beer at a later date. But uh yeah, no, everything's going really well. Uh I had uh or we've we've had Mountain Girlfriend and I have had Mountain Dog for one year now. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it's been uh it's been a rip roaring good time from uh from getting him last year right before uh Christmas and then having him uh with his back issues and whatnot, it's been an adventure, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And, uh, and I'm very, very pleased with the support that we've had from their, the organization. And, uh, in addition to that, I went to my parents' place for some Thanksgiving dinner, which I thought was pretty great. And we, uh, we went ahead and, and had a bunch of stuff, uh, stuffed our faces, uh, we brought like, uh, you know, some kind of Brussels sprouts dish that I think was about 3000 calories a serving. And, um, one of the things that I actually came across there, and this won't mean anything to you necessarily because it's kind of like car related, but I, I mean, like I, I, I say that it, it, with the all love because I know that you do appreciate the automobile, but when I was growing up, I, I was obsessed with them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remembered a race that my dad took us to I, me and me and my mom and uh and it was something that i always had in the back of my head i always remembered this race that we went to and it was part of my dad's never been like a real huge car guy but he was part of this like kind of corporate thing where they gave him tickets that kind of deal it was back in the 90s well i dug through my closet you know my childhood closet which is uh stuffed full of shit not unlike my like current digs um, but the, uh, the thing I came across was a hat. I'll even show it to you on, uh, on Slack. Ah, okay. This is the 1994 Grand Prix of Dallas hat. And, uh, I've spent a long time trying to figure out what exactly this race was that we went to and, and it stuck out to me. I remember it all vividly, right? And it's just one of those like really important memories in my life. Uh, the funny thing is, if you look it up online, you have to dig 
a little bit. It's not something that's incredibly well known. And for a while, actually, like back in the 80s, I think it even made it on like the F1 world circuit kind of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, the one I went to actually was outside or in around uh, the old Reunion Arena building oh, in yeah. Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> so if I, do you remember Reunion Arena? Do you, do oh, yeah. you have any fond memories yeah. of Reunion Arena? I have uh, several fond memories, and they all uh, revolve around the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I was going to ask you if they all revolved around carpeted walls and Mexican tile. <laughs> yeah. So, because yeah. <laughs> that's what I remember from. Well, and then the parking, you had to like park uh, like across the way from the bridge. So you had to like walk under the bridge to get over there. And it was, I remember walking my dad and I was like, this is kind of a shady area. It's 100% shady. The yeah. whole area is shady. Right. And it like, it doesn't matter if you put, you know, if you shoehorn a Wolfgang Puck restaurant <laughs> at the top of a ball. Like it's going to be a shady ass area. So I, uh, I, I, anyway, I had this whole nostalgia moment where I found this hat and it reminded me of what the race was. So I actually looked it up online and I found, uh, some, some copies of track maps from that time period of the layout and of everything. And I found the the person who actually designed the course. So I'm wondering if I can get kind of a high res image of that racing track, you know, layout uh yeah. some printed for my my man cave at some point but anyway that was a that's kind of an interesting moment this thanksgiving uh how about you how do you do uh well you know i spent time with uh went over to a friend's place had a, a gathering of friends there two smoked turkeys really thick ham uh it was was a lot of fun and then uh went up to my parents and did a little bit of a small birthday gathering thing got to see my older sister for a bit and and then left there but uh i guess the the more memorable part was uh my actual birthday which was uh tuesday night last week and yes it was yep met up with you and and mountain girlfriend and uh a lot of other good friends and we went we were at the truck yard in the colony off 121 which was much larger than the one dallas that i went to years ago and it was interesting walking down the ramp, seeing those trucks that are kind of like inverted, um, kind of facing down, and they have these LED sort of outlines, uh, kind of like poles as you're walking by, and uh, getting yeah. down there and seeing, you know, the just the the vast area that you could walk through with the food trucks. But the most interesting uh, part was upstairs. There was a uh, like toilet lid museum or something of that nature, and. Uh, I, I couldn't even count how many toilet bowl lids there were uh, hanging on the wall that had all this artwork and stuff. Uh, the funniest part was at the very top uh, of the ceiling. It was almost kind of like the top of the Sistine Chapel, except it was yeah. a, a painting of, of a hand holding <laughs> toilet paper and the other hand uh, across. I'm like, almost like Adam re- reaching out to God, but it's like god handing adam like a toilet paper roll <laughs> so i <laughs> it was I, awesome i thought that was funny the uh and then of course the the lid what that was like the million dollar lid or something like that and it was all um you know now defunct uh dollar bills uh that was shredded by the san antonio federal reserve and so there are all these shreddings kind of in these these deals so that was uh that was pretty entertaining to to walk through that kind of unexpected but yeah, I had a good time hanging out with everybody and, um, you know, and then, of course, Thanksgiving. So, yeah, this this whole week has been kind of a whirlwind and, um, you know, just really gone by pretty quickly. I have an intimate question for you. Are you ready? Go ahead. Have you ever used a circular 
toilet toilet seat. Uh, pretty sure I have, because uh, that's kind of the old school design, right? Yeah, yeah. I my my question is, uh, is that a crime against humanity, or is it a crime against humanity? <laughs> because I think it's a crime against humanity. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that the circular toilet seat may be the single most uh, upsetting invention of all time. Like yeah. there was no forethought. Yeah, especially when you're a little nah, kid and you don't have much mass on you. Um, it's easy to yeah. fall in. Uh, I yeah. mean, it probably wouldn't be as bad these days, but yeah, it's uh, there's no ergonomic, uh, you know, seating of the ass. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. For all you, all you, uh, all you crazy Gen Z listeners that are listening right now, imagine pooping in a bucket and then uh, and then like one step above that, and then you've got it pretty much covered. Like you know exactly what we're talking about now. So. Maybe uh, maybe stay away from the circular toilet seats unless it's for some kind of weird nostalgia factor that you've got. But I'm not you, so you know what's even worse know. is a circular wooden toilet seat because you're out in an outhouse in the middle of the mountains in Colorado. You know, I honestly, it, I think it's an expectations game, yeah, right? Like if of, I was yeah. going to take a dump in the middle of the woods, I expect <laughs> there to be some discomfort. You know, if I'm if I'm going to do that in an actual bathroom in a home. It's even almost well appointed, yep. right? Like yep. I had an apartment in the 90s, and I don't know if the 90s they forgot how, what people's asses looked like, but they they gave me the smallest circular toilet seat of all time. And uh, every day I woke up, you know, got my breakfast, brushed my teeth, got ready for work, and thought to myself how I could rip that toilet out and replace it without them knowing. It was <laughs> awful. Oh, so anyway. Now we all know. Yeah. Um, and knowing let's talk movie battle. news. Yeah. Now knowing is half the battle. <laughs> yeah. um, if you'll notice that we have the most important thing uh, first. I think we're we're all on board here. Uh, filming has finally wrapped on Avatar two. Uh, let's move on. What's next? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got a real hate on for Avatar. Yeah. If, if you guys haven't noticed. No, I I hear you. It, and. I just feel like when this stuff launches, that's all we're going to hear about is Avatar 2. Now 3, 4, and 5 is coming out next spring, you know, and it's just, I I don't even know how many they're filming right now, but... Uh, who can who can afford it? I mean, like, seriously, who can, who can afford it? Because James Cameron will pull in money attaching yeah. his name to stuff, which right. I appreciate. I understand that he's done some good work, but uh, he's done a lot of good work. That's um, for me to say just some good work, but... Uh, Avatar, uh, if you're rating James Cameron films, uh, I would put this below Abyss easily. Like, oh, yeah. Abyss at least held my attention. Um, there's a lot of things that drove me insane about Avatar. But we won't get into that right now because <laughs> I literally put that on there as a bit. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about <laughs> it when it actually comes out and we get forced to go see it. So. That's what I, that's what I'm thinking is like when we actually we we'll go see it audience so you don't have to yeah we're here is for that you fair? yeah that's exactly yeah what we're, here we're, for. we're really gonna lay it on the line we're gonna give you our honest opinion and it's worth about fifteen dollars I think because that's how much a ticket's worth to go see Avatar in 3D yeah we'll talk about are they too blue yeah are they too blue yeah. um. When you ride a animal, an avatar is it the same thing as having sex. We don't know. 
seriously though i mean like you know what i'm talking about right yeah or where they're like the the navi are meeting and then they get it on you know by like putting their hair braids together and then he jumps on the horse or yeah, whatever like or spikes yeah. In the, yeah and they they connect to the horse the exact same way i'm i'm fairly certain that he had sex with that animal <laughs> but we can we can keep going okay all right so 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 next on our run sheet, uh, there's been a little bit of a social media post that happened over the week that's caused a little bit of a buzz, and that is uh, Zoe Kravitz's new hairstyle. Uh, she basically has this Selena Kyle haircut where it's cut real short, kind of pixie-like, and now that it's cut, and I, dude, it's it's like a splitting image from what I know Selena Kyle to be like in in graphic novels like Hush and long Halloween and everything. And so, yeah, she looks spot on. And so anybody that had doubts before, couldn't really see it. I think a lot of people are now going, Oh, and the light bulbs going off in their head. Yeah. I, uh, I will be honest. The amount that I pay attention to, uh, stars haircuts is actually less than I pay attention to, uh, other people's haircuts that are even actually immediately related to me or in my life. So <laughs> I get in trouble for not actually noticing mountain girlfriends, haircuts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, this, this somehow ranks below that, but I will say that Selena Kyle and, and the transformation that you're talking about that actually resonates with me. So I'm on board with this entire point on our, on our run sheet. I will say that she looks closer to Selena Kyle now than I ever thought she would. And, uh, and like, it was the image. Was that, was that, are we sure that's not like a boss logic kind of thing? Like well, where they were just like, here's your new haircut, the, you know, that kind of deal. Yeah. I mean the, the link that I sent you, the first image you see in the article is like a boss logic sort of thing based off her haircut. But the sure. image of her, of her just, you could just tell she's chilling in a room or something, uh, from Instagram is an actual image of her after she got her hair. Okay. All right, because the one I saw first was the one that looked like it was just her mapped onto Gotham, and I'm just like, this doesn't look real <laughs> at all. But I do, I do know, I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I again, like we were kind of, I think, uh, a little bit, you know, maybe we had one foot over fence as far as the Zoe Kravitz, Lenny Kyle thing. Uh, we were we're kind of seeing how it was gonna go. Uh, this sold me on the look of it. Mm-hmm. We know she's a capable actress. Uh, you know, if anything, you've shown me that. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely more invested now than I was before this because I couldn't. It was hard to visualize it, and maybe that was part of the whole. I mean, yeah. she's not going to start shooting this next week, right, right? Right. I mean, like this isn't. So maybe it's part of like the entire PR thing is like it's the most low key PR I've ever seen. Some getting a haircut, but it's the same time. I mean, like we're talking about it podcast right now, so that's probably something that's worth note. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they'll start filming next year, and um, you know the the other thing that's been talked about is how you know people are like, oh, Robert Pattinson, he's he hasn't put on mass or whatever. And I'm like, you know. He doesn't have to put on. He doesn't have to like bulk up like Ben Affleck did, where he was like, you know, the Mountain Beast Batman or whatever, you know, uh, the Clydesdale right. Batman. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, you look at Michael Keaton and and everybody else. I mean, yeah, I mean, Michael Keaton. I don't think he really put on really much of any muscle mass back in the eighties, um, eighty nine and ninety two. But you know, I I think uh, you know it, that stuff takes time, especially with uh, someone with that frame. So I mean, the, he's the dude's got like. 
you know, six or seven months. I mean, that's definitely more than enough time to, to get it going. So, yeah, but that's pretty much all the uh, Batman news that there was this week. So uh, what else we got on the docket today? My goodness. Uh, well, it's Thanksgiving, which means that we had a, uh, a large amount of movie and TV action happening. Um, I was really looking forward to this. It's a little upsetting that I wasn't able to review this with you, but we were able to go see a couple other movies, which we'll get to later. Um, I know the Irishman came out. That's right. Uh, everybody knows the Irishman came out. Uh, I think is so before we touch on that, obviously we haven't really even talked about the fact that Scorsese and, uh, and like, you know, the Marvel, you know, Gigantor had and basically an, a public argument, right? Right, right. The what is cinema argument, which I've made my opinions very clear on, you know, how how cinema has been divided uh, up amongst several camps, at least two camps, you know, being kind of uh, engaging kind of uh, experience film, you know, kind of like a Marvel experience thing where you're going to a theme park or going to a movie. Right. Like you have options when it comes to that, or you have your much more cerebral, uh, in depth, more engaging indie type movie, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, I'm taking like an absolute cleaver where a scalpel deserves to be used, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, um, I will not say because Scorsese doesn't exactly need anybody to market his films for him right uh, it's not exactly like it was a ploy uh i find the timing a little bit suspect that he he kind of throws shade on every other blockbuster that's ever been made in the past 15 years uh right before his magnum opus comes out yeah uh but that that's fine i mean it it is what it is you can read into it as much as you want to uh, and i think we should have this debate at some point who was who's right who's wrong everybody's take on uh the, on the scorsese versus marvel cinema thing and everybody's kind of picking their corners the answer is probably a lot more nuanced than people let on uh sure I mean, yeah i mean it's, is that fair i mean it's subjective it, it really is it's kind of like saying what's the most scariest movie of all time like it's very subjective some people want to see gore and cats jumping out of a closet and stuff like that and then other people want to have more of a uh, cerebral sort of experience you know something that's more psychological so uh but yeah i think with scorsese i think it was i think it was necessary for him at first i was like okay dude like we get it you know but uh and and i have nothing but respect for scorsese like i've seen all of his films he's he's excellent filmmaker um, but I think his comment was necessary in that, you know, it, it's good to have conversations like this. And I think it was good for him to bring awareness to maybe some of the millennials out there that, you know, all they know is, you know, hyper realism, you know, um, 240 hertz refresh rate movies that, you know, are just everything just looks, you know, eye popping. And uh, maybe they don't have an appreciation for you know, the old school cinema and what 
what basically got Cinema to where it is today. So I think him making that comment was kind of a way of of bringing attention to, hey, you know, yeah, there there are those films that you know you've been watching that maybe Marvel had made or whatever, but you know, we also have film films out there, and so you know, and I I don't know if he was intentionally trying to you know kind of uh, bag on on you know Marvel films, but you know, from my point of view, I kind of felt like he was just trying to bring sort of like a perspective and raise an awareness that, you know, hey, you know, there's there's still other movies out there that are more of a film-like cinema quality. And so, yeah, I know that he did make the comment that, you know, what Marvel films are isn't necessarily uh, true cinema and film. And yeah, that's definitely debatable in that comment. But I kind of felt like, yeah, it was kind of necessary for him to kind of bring it up and just kind of like, cause attention to it i think it's pretty obvious that if you're talking about subjective arguments you can't say the scariest movie is a subjective argument because we all know that mortal Kombat annihilation is the scariest movie <laughs> we've ever seen what about samurai cop? um samurai cop yeah or nice, uh, nice nice try brandon or yeah or no. uh <laughs> cop. What, which what was it Man- maniac cop maniac cop mm-hmm. uh the romantic comedy yeah it's pretty good <laughs> no, i i i love uh I, I love scorsese films um i think it can be debated that uh well actually you know what I, I could go down this path where i start like trying to pick apart scorsese but that's like politics in a nutshell we don't really need to do that we all know scorsese knows how to make movies um i don't know i it seems very interesting to me that this path would even be gone down. Um, there are some, there's some filmmakers out there that, that actually make both types of movies. Uh, Ang Lee mm-hmm. comes to mind. Yep. Um, but you know, I would, cause I guess the dude needs a paycheck or something. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> seriously though, uh, my God, um, I love it. This is not, this is the tangent on the tangent, but um, Ang Lee's Hulk uh, with uh, Eric Bana yeah. is uh, not good. It's not a good movie, but it, it does show that he has interest in making stuff that's not his cup of tea. So I have, I have appreciation for Ang Lee taking gambles on making stuff that he normally wouldn't. Uh, and I have appreciation for most filmmakers that would do that. Uh, Ryan Johnson, I think, is is one of those filmmakers now that he did Last Jedi, and we'll get to that because uh, we saw Knives Out this weekend. But uh, in general, you know, it it to me this all seemed kind of pedantic in the way that, like, if you were going to say, "Hey guys, I went to a real film school, so you don't really know how to direct." Mm-hmm. kind of thing it, it just seemed like it, it didn't need to happen yeah but at the same time i do understand what you're saying as far as making people realize oh yeah there are actual movie movies out there uh one of those we saw this weekend again knives out that was a movie movie right that was uh that that was actually a movie movie uh that yeah anyway i will i will keep that one in the chamber let's talk irishman i want to hear about what you thought uh, you you did the marathon. What is it? How long is it? Four hours? 
uh, uh, it's three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So my tolerances were, were way off, but still, uh, overall, uh, just give me the top down real quick as far as if you liked it or not. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Uh, I, I feel like it really focused in on the details. It focused in like, even if there were other characters in the room or in the restaurant or whatever, you know, and they're all meeting up and doing what, you know, you know, Italians do, uh, it, it kind of like, what I liked is it, it kind of like would show what's going on and, and everything. And, and you're just sort of like just looking at a scene and then someone gets up and introduces himself and it kind of like freeze frames and it, it zooms in slowly and, and you see the subtext and it's like, Oh, this was Al so-and-so. And yeah, he got shot in the head in 1980, blah, blah. And then it shows another person's like, this person got stabbed. You know, it's just like, you see all these people and they're all friends with each other, but eventually they, they turn on each other or, the the top leadership turns on them or whoever it is so uh interesting yeah it, so there were there were details and stuff like that that was real interesting and um yeah but i liked it a lot i think from uh directorial's perspective there were a couple scenes that kind of lingered a, a little bit longer than they should have um and they're not the scenes you would think of it'd be like okay uh two guys leave a room or this guy leaves a hotel room and the door shuts and then it, it sits there for like three or four seconds where the camera's just in the room looking at the door. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if he did that on purpose so that you can look at the old TV and the old this and the old that and look at the details of the room. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I, I wasn't really sure what the point is of, of that, but you know, but you get that sometimes with Scorsese. Yeah, you do. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I, that does answer part of my next question, but a big follow-up is, from a paying perspective, uh, when you have a three and a half hour movie, pacing is paramount, right? Oh, yeah. You have to uh, to really sink your teeth into how uh, the audience is feeling at a given moment and kind of remove yourself when you're doing filmmaking and, and really figure out exactly what's lingering too long, what's not. And it's it's tricky. The longer you go uh, for, for a, a movie, I think the harder it gets from a pacing perspective. Is that fair? Yeah, that's extremely fair. And that's always a daunting thing, knowing whenever you're going into a long film, you're just like, oh man, especially if you're seeing it in a theater where you have no, you have no pause button, you know? And so that was kind yeah. of the benefit with Netflix is that I, I could pause it, but I will say from a pacing perspective, this thing was very well crafted, very well edited, very well paced. Um, there's, you know, like I, like I mentioned with that one scene where it kind of held a little too long on that one shot, but, but other than that, everything was very fluid and very fast paced, but not too fast paced that you couldn't follow what was going on. And so right. the other aspect to it with the, with the pacing that I was kind of uh, concerned about was that I knew that this was going to jump around different time periods because you have the de-aging technology and you also have the aging technology. You see Robert De Niro's character yeah. as an old man in a nursing home. And then you see him mm -hmm. back in World War II. And then, you know, so I, I was kind of afraid it was going to jump around too much, but it actually made sense in the context of when they show him in World War II. Like he's telling someone about his time there and then it goes back to him at the restaurant, you know, back in the, uh, you know, 70s or whenever it was. Uh, so yeah, yeah it, you're it, telling a story. You're not keeping it dry. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I felt like the pacing was excellent. I didn't once feel like I was bored. Um, and I didn't feel like I needed to look at the clock. I mean, there was maybe one point I, I did need to look at the clock cause I was going to meet up with you and mountain girlfriend to go exactly. see uh, knives out. So I had to stop it with like 55 minutes left, but, um, but I wanted to like, keep going. It was one of those where it had my interest and I was like, Oh man, I can't wait to get back and watch the rest of this. So yeah, yeah. it was, it was excellently done. Um, there are not a lot of moves that I feel like are in a position where they would need an intermission. Right. Uh, and there are not a lot of directors that I feel like will require an intermission, but you know, intermissions actually took place a lot in movies back in like the, uh, even as late as something like the seventies, really. I mean, that still existed. And, uh, well, maybe just the sixties is, is that right? Uh, I mean, like, cause I, I remember stuff like 2001, a space odyssey and that kind of thing. I mean, they had intermissions in that, uh, um, there's some Monty Python quest right. for the Holy Grail. <laughs> sure. So I, my, my, my point being, we're all used to movies being much longer now. Yeah. And when you were talking about the nineties, I think a lot of your 90 minute runtime uh, was held to stuff like the uh, the medium, like VHS, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. You had to be very careful about how you're editing and everything because it was very rare when back in the day when you had a two VHS movie, you know, oh, like Gone they, with the Wind. Yeah, they existed. Like that, right? Yeah, yeah. They existed. Yeah, absolutely they existed. But it wasn't like you went and you were like, oh, yeah, like another two VHS movie. You're like, you made a big deal of it when you looked at the shop and you're like, my God, like it's a two VHS movie. Like that's a big freaking deal. Right. Um, and then obviously like rec- like the actual recording capabilities and the, and the data handling of a VHS enhanced over time and kind of did away with that. Uh, DVDs completely did away with most of that with dual air technology and that kind of thing. Um, I bring all this up to say, if there ever was a movie that probably would have reinvested in the intermission, this one felt like it would be that like from all of the, from all of the, the hype, from all the information I've gathered from you, from others, it seemed like it was something where he cared so much about the material and, and what he would, the story he was trying to tell that he didn't want people to miss anything, you know, having to go take a piss in the middle of the movie, that kind of thing. So it, it it very much seemed to me like something where they would have actually tried to break it apart in a way that was, that was capable for the audience to go see. I mean, like I know some movies that are spectacle movies, you know, like the, not all Marvel movies, but you have to look on when's the best time to get up and get pissed, you know, and people do that. People actually catalog that kind of stuff online. Yeah. So it, it gave me the feeling that um, if ever a movie deserved an intermission, you know, in the past 40 years, this is probably one of those movies. Um, I mean, just, of course, I I'm, I'm working on it right now. It, the, the churn is happening, but I always get that feeling from Daisy that he appreciates his material so much. He doesn't want anybody to miss out on it. Yeah, no, that's a that's an interesting take, um, interesting perspective. Because I haven't really thought about intermissions in films in quite a while. Uh, I remember seeing one when I was younger, and I can't even recall what it was. But you know, it's like uh, I've been to 
plays. Like I've I've gone to uh, you know the Windspear Opera House to see a, a play and, and things like that, and they always have intermissions and and it makes sense because you know like uh, the average human only has a certain attention span for so long. I, I wish we had, you know, more intermissions when it came to uh, business meetings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a lost art because, man, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll be in a meeting at work and I'm just like, after like 15, 20 minutes of hearing someone talk, I'm just starting to go brain dead, especially if it's an early yep. morning and I'm waiting on the coffee to kick in. Jeez. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that, you know, this film really uh, uh, kind of – I think it, it really gained a, a advantage and has a really uh, strong um, fitting with Netflix compared to if it was in in theater. I think that'd be kind right. of the first thing people would complain is how long it is or whatever. But now it's on Netflix. Yeah. It's like, you know, everybody is used to cramming in so much content as much as possible and binging stuff on Netflix. So, yeah, yep. I feel like this was the perfect platform for it. Yeah, I agree with that from what I understand. And I also will say, yeah, I've I've met people in my life, um, very smart people that that have, you know, actually and you know, lit, like reviewed literature and stuff like that. And one of the things they brought up was the changing medium of like ebooks, right? Like e readers. Yeah. And how the the changing uh format has kind of, and of course they were very much uh, purists as far as novels and everything were concerned. So they would actually avoid e-readers and that kind of thing. But the idea being that the new format lends itself to some publishing as opposed to other methods of publishing. And so some people who actually wrote uh, recently make books that literally cannot be translated to an e-reader, especially with any kind of service to the original, you know, product, right? And I find that that's kind of interesting uh, because what we've seen so much with Netflix and streaming services and how and other streamers, how you know, basically movie making is changing uh, in a way to almost fit that medium. Uh, I mean, I, I know that obviously you can release a movie anywhere. I think there's someone who, out there who's trying to make like a 24-hour movie right now. Uh, and, and in all honesty, I don't know who would sit around for that. I mean, you have to like pee in a jar, basically, if you really want to see the entire thing. Hey, but if it's for Jack Bauer, I'll do anything. <laughs> if it's for, yeah, for, for, no, okay, I need to clarify. <laughs> it's a movie that is 24 hours in length and not the actual 24 movie. So it that is... You know what, though, if that's a that's a good point, Brandon. I, you, I don't see old man Kiefer doing that, though. <laughs> I I would, I would. What well, I mean, it, it has to be in one shot too. Yeah. Like he's going delirious after twenty four hours, right? <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think that would actually be pretty bad. I mean, like obviously it'd be off, but um, you know, for the actors and everybody involved, because you have a twenty four hour nonstop shot, I would probably kill myself. But the uh, the idea being. You have all these new mediums that are out there. Uh, you're, the way that you absorb information has changed so drastically from when we were young, right? Right. Uh, and, and the gap is even larger from when our parents were, were watching movies and stuff like that. They would go to movies because there were air conditioning in theaters. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's, it's that kind of thing. So 
we have a we have a very different type of experience now as far as cinema is concerned and i think that we're start seeing people either appreciate that and embrace it perhaps like a scorsese and we have a lot of people that are old school right that are a lot of the indie type filmmakers that will probably find a way to actually prevent their movie from being translated over to to a streaming service in some meaningful way so whatever works um i think uh it i mean from everything i've read from everything i've said uh from everything that you've said irishman is incredible right i mean where where do you rank this as far as his favorite or, or your favorite scorsese movies because you know this this question was coming uh yeah i would man <clears throat> there's no way that i could rank it over taxi driver or uh or Departed, or Casino. I, I couldn't rank it over those. I would say it's probably in the Aviator-type realm, but I would say I probably even liked Aviator a little bit more from what he did. But, uh, wow. you know, I would, I'd probably put this with, like, Shutter Island. I, I'd probably say that, yeah, I, I'll, I like what he did here. So it's, I wouldn't say it's it's his strongest, best film, you know? Um so I'm not going to like put any hype around that, but I would say it's, it's real solid to where it's definitely not his weakest either. So, uh, you heard it from Brandon first, everybody. If you don't go see this movie, kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, I, I, that's good to know. I obviously have a really, really, really deep appreciation for casino. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that movie. Um, I love it in all of its weird, like neutered on TV forms. I love it on its like straight out of, you know, director's cut forms. It's all, it's always a good movie. Um, so that's good to hear. Um, a- Aviator is not one that I expected you to say, but I, I think from a cinematography standpoint that that is heads, up, you know, heads and shoulders above most of his other stuff that he's done. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's God, there's a lot to love from Scorsese. There is no question, Yep. but that's good. So give me a, give me your letter rating. Let's figure it out. Is it a, is it a solid a plus? It, how high does the Brandon rating go? First of all, <laughs> is it an A? We, we always give it like an A or a B or something like that. Is there an A plus in your rating scale? Uh, there is, it's, it's very okay. difficult to, for a film to reach that. Um, there it's really reserved. hasn't. Yeah, there hasn't been uh, any films lately that have really kind of gotten up there for me, um, but I've come close. And so, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd give this film uh, an A. Okay, so I, I think you gave the Joker an A. Um, so I think we're in pretty good company. This is a good year for movies. Yeah, absolutely. In general, like it's a very good year for movies. It's a good year for spectacle movies. It's a good year for movie movies. Yeah, and there's so, just more and more uh, great films coming out from what I hear. So speaking of, um, at some point, possibly today or this week, I'm going to go check out Ford vs. Ferrari. So uh, listeners expect to have my review on that uh, by next episode. If I don't actually go see that movie before it leaves theaters, I will cry because <laughs> I love the source material so much. Yeah. Um, let's talk Mandalorian. Yeah. You saw you saw Mandalorian season, uh, episode four. I have not. Um, haven't been able to get around to it. Have you? Yes, I have. Okay. I have. Uh, I have. I have indeed 
and I will tell you that uh do you want do you want spoilers or do you want the uh the top down like from uh, orbit view? Let's go top down. Okay. All right. Um Mandalorian dice. Uh <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, that's, uh no, I uh I, I up until now the comparisons with the western theme right mm-hmm. the idea of of modern western and spaghetti western filmmaking that we've addressed here on this show have been apparent there is no question about them uh but this is the very first episode that i've seen more like reading a lot of other reviews and stuff like that They're like oh i finally get what this show is about i don't even think that's right like I, I think that they're fooling themselves. Yeah. If they cash in on episode four and they think this is exactly what the show is going to be like for the rest of the the show. If anything, it's been kind of an amorphous, you know, like constantly It's um, evolving. Yeah. E- evolving, proceeding storyline. Uh the the thing that really uh you know hit me hard on this episode was that it was the most in-your-face Western of the entire uh, show experience thus far. And and I will say this following part with the expectation that, A, you know what I'm talking about, and B, you know it's not a spoiler um, or a spoiler-ish. Uh, it, it really had kind of a pale rider feel to it. Well, I mean, I could... I guess I'm kind of expecting that for episode four because of where episode three of Mandalorian left off. Uh, you know, he had his, his former uh, bounty hunters help him out so he could get off that planet and escape with baby Yoda. And so now he's completely on his own. Thankfully he's got that badass armor he's wearing, but that, that can only help him so far. And so, yeah, I expect him to kind of have this, uh, yeah, like a pill rider type of, of dynamic where He's the loner, and and now he's gonna have a very hard time finding help elsewhere. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll even I'll, I'll even uh, predict moving forward what's going to happen uh, in a way, not necessarily because of anything that I found out from this episode, but because some more character actually introduced were worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, at some point, either this season or next season, we're going to get a very magnificent seven vibe. Right, like there, there will be a time where multiple characters that are protagonists will come together regarding their specific skills and backgrounds, and they will put that to use to liberate or uh, perhaps uh, capture or something. Mm-hmm. Right? They they will they will achieve a goal. Maybe they'll go get a MacGuffin. Who knows? Yeah. But the bottom line is, the Western theme is strong in this episode. Um, he goes down to the level, and this will be a little spoilerish, but it goes down to the level where they actually have the dynamic of um, Mando defending a a certain group of people, right? Uh, who are good people, and he is fighting against a group of uh, kind of bandity, raidery kind of people that even have kind of a uh, they have a part of technology that makes them superior and, and i will tell you that what that 
and maybe this is way too on the nose, maybe it's not on the nose enough, but I will say that the thing that reminded me the most of this experience where, you know, you've got a couple, you know, down and out bad guys, you know, slash good guys, you know, fighting for these people that don't have a lot going for them and don't offer a whole lot. Um, this technology reminded me so much of when you've got bandits that have that like kind of ace in the hole, like the Gatling gun on yeah. the train. Yep kind of thing and uh and like that's so that's the thing that you must overcome you know as as a group as as a culture whatever you're trying to do you're trying to fight back against this technology that is superior right right and so um yeah the the gatling guard the gatling gun the train car uh analogy is probably the strongest in this episode uh, for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about um the best thing i can compare it to is oddly enough which totally re you know, like stole tropes from other stuff is the original original red dead redemption right mm -hmm. uh you're trying to storm that fort that uh that your you know previous boss is running and that kind of thing and their ace in the hole is a uh covered wagon that's got a or maybe it's your ace in the hole is a covered wagon with a, a gatling gun. The bottom line is superior firepower plays a big part in what one side has to overcome against another. And uh, it, it makes for a very good, if not very two-dimensional, you know, fight overall. Like they, it's probably the flattest episode so far, as far as development. But it's also probably one of the most important as far as plot. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. Okay. So I would absolutely recommend that everybody who has time to go watch this episode, while it is not the sexiest episode in certain ways, it is certainly more sexy than others, and you will actually enjoy uh, it quite a bit. It is probably the least clean, uh, like, looking Right, though it's it's probably the most uh, gritty episode so far, but at the same time, it is the most figuratively speaking polished episode so far. So, anyway, now that's all the way, <laughs> and you've reviewed something that I haven't seen, and I've reviewed something yep. you haven't seen. For the last remaining time that we have, let's talk about the better movie movie you've seen in a long time. Obviously I, I, I'm excluded. I'm going to exclude Joker this. And the reason why as well as exclude Joker, I'm going to exclude Joker from this for one reason is because it had its roots in other source material, even though it played jazz with it and made an incredible, incredible movie on top of that. Uh -huh. Right. This is probably one of the few, and I'll even exclude the Irishman because while it was uh, perhaps uh, like kind of a historical kind of nonfiction, but fictionalized look at uh, a very heavy subject uh, with incredible actors and an incredible director, obviously. We have, we don't have a lot of original material out there these days. And I will say that, the reason that this is probably one of the better movie movies I've seen in a long time is because it all came out of one man's head. Right. And, uh, I've had some real issues with Ryan Johnson and his star Wars interpretation and whatnot. And we need to talk about that now. 
yep. but the uh i will say just out of the gate knives out impressed the hell out of me uh where where were you at on this uh well uh first off i was so we met up at a alamo draft house on a rainy night and uh it's it's pretty amazing the turnout for this film because even that I mean obviously it was the day after Thanksgiving so I guess everybody but I could tell that even for that 7 p.m. showing and I was buying tickets well like hours in advance uh, all the seats were pretty much picked so we had to sit on the second yeah. row and I had to look up Daniel Craig's nose and all that stuff and uh, <laughs> yep. hadn't sat that close for a movie in a while and I'm like man this, this is going to be some fast moving scenes I don't know how I'm going to, you know, do here, but actually I settled in pretty well and, uh, it, it wasn't bad for sitting for the second row, but yeah, this movie, uh, captivated me from the start. Um, and I knew it would just based off of the, the previews and knowing that Ryan Johnson wrote and directed this. So he had complete control of this film. Uh, but the cast, the cast was amazing. There's just amazing symmetry there. Um, and, uh, just everybody brought this sense of energy to it. Um, I thought, Ana de Armas did an amazing job uh, as Marta, and uh, and her acting skills really showed there. Because you, I mean, I, I liked her in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and and you you could see she had a little bit of depth there, but uh, she really brings it on this one. And I think a lot of the rest of the cast brought it too. Uh, I could tell Daniel Craig was just having a ball here, um, just having so much fun uh, being his character. This sort of uh, private investigator de uh, detective kind of guy. But um, yeah, everything, the the story, everything just, you know, it, it was interesting because it, it not to spoil anything, but they kind of uh, show you kind of like, okay, well, obviously, and you know from the trailer that, uh, you know, there's a death in the family and it's kind of like, well, what causes death? And you kind of see, you know, behind the curtain a little bit in the in the beginning. You're kind of like, oh, they're they're going there. They're going to do that. And so you, it's kind of like you know what happened, but then then there's supposedly twists and turns. And I'm like sitting there. I think you and I were both kind of looking at each other, like, how are they going to do this? How how is this movie going to be, you know, sustain interest and even build more interest throughout the film? And damn, like, they definitely did it. Uh, I mean, just when yep. you think you have everything kind of, like, pinpointed, um, you start finding out more information. And uh, and then, of course, there's a bunch of hijinks and some very unexpected uh, humorous moments, which is what I really, really like about Ryan Johnson's style is he finds humor in just, like, the day-to-day -day type things. And uh, the details of it, I mean, everything. It, it was, uh, yeah, I agree with you. This is probably one of the best films I've seen this year. Um, and it definitely will have a replayability with me because, uh, just seeing, you know, details again, but also just seeing the actors performances, uh, they were just so good. You know, what else is so good? Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 38 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Thanks for letting me chew through that whole ad read. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I will. I will tell you that uh, the it's one of the first movies. So a lot of a lot of movies you see, and you can tell everybody's having a really good time. And 
one of the reasons everybody has a really good time in a lot of movies that they do, especially things like the Oceans series and stuff like that, is because they're there to have fun. And a lot of times the movie is kind of taking a back seat to their level of fun. Uh, and it's not to totally crap all over all the Oceans movies and stuff like that. I just have a very clear understanding, I feel, of uh, what was the priority on that piece. And getting everybody together for a Oceans movie uh, seemed to be more of like a, everybody's having a great time. Look how famous we are. And, you know, right. also this movie got made. Um, Knives Out has one of the best casts I've seen in a very long time, as far as ensembles are concerned. And uh, it's not your, you know, Oceans movie. Uh, and, and that's, like I said, not an indictment on the Oceans movies. They're a lot of fun. But the uh, the point of this movie was to make a good movie, right? Like it, from, from beginning to end, the creation of this movie uh, was clearly uh, an absolute labor of love uh, from Ryan Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, he gave a crap about it. He had his hands in every aspect of this thing. It reminded me a lot of his older work that he had done from a uh, – from a care perspective, uh, things like brick and that kind of thing where he, I mean, if there was like one hair that was out of his head, I bet you he stepped in and he moved it. Right. Uh, they, they had a great, uh, chemistry. Everybody did. Uh, they all had fun with the lines of the movie. They all had fun with the, the actual substance, but they all bring it. Like there is not one actor or actress in this movie who didn't like absolutely give a shit. Uh, some people had something to prove like Anna de Armas, right? Uh, she has been in very big movies and everything, but she's never really been the center of attention. Uh, she was absolutely the center of attention in this movie. And, uh, and then there's some, you know, actors like Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson, where it's kind of like, well, what do they have to gain? You know? But, but the difference is, is that they can act, you know, and, and they and they cared about the source material. They they are real actors, right? And they put it in. Every every minute of this movie, they put in their their maximum effort. And uh, I was I was really pleased with the outcome. Uh, yes, this movie uh, does tell you a story in a way that you probably haven't before. Ryan Jackson is acutely aware of every kind of procedural and mystery and uh, whodunit that exists out there. He clearly has a very big appreciation for that genre, even though he absolutely shits on it from orbit a couple times during this movie. And in uh, and what what happens is a, an excellent movie yeah. that that ends up with with very tight writing. Um, it doesn't suffer from a lot of the the strange uh, shit that went down in Last Jedi, and I think we've had a conversation about that before. Uh, where uh, Last Jedi, as a Star Wars movie, I think probably failed, but uh, as a movie, movie, it actually was probably the first Star Wars movie I think that truly didn't do what it would it needed to do. Um, I think that we've discussed the the cooks in the kitchen aspect of that yep. a lot of times everybody had their fingers in it but go back after like watch knives out 
if you if you appreciate cinema uh, as we do, uh, watch Knives Out, and then go and ruminate on the Last Jedi for a little while, and think to yourself how much of a Ryan Johnson movie. Uh, it really is. And that's to say, think about the aspects of Ryan Johnson's writing and directing that shown through during The Last Jedi and think about the aspects of Ryan Johnson's movie making that didn't show through and were absolutely like probably shed on the entire time. Right. Um, I, it's very important to take that entire movie in aggregate because I will tell you right now, as we've said before, Ryan Johnson can make movies. That guy knows how to make a movie. And this was probably the most indie feeling big budget movie I've seen in a long time. So it's not a good thing to look at this and say, just summarily discount Ryan Johnson because you didn't like one thing that he did. I mean, he very much has a style. Yeah. The, the way I would explain it is that star Wars was like a leased vehicle. Like this was not Ryan Johnson's vehicle. He was basically leasing it. He had the keys, but he could only get in it for a certain amount of time when Kathleen Kennedy wasn't driving the vehicle. Uh, So it's a tentpole type of event. And so I think everybody out there should realize, like, yeah, when when there's a piece of property that uh, has, like, huge amount of uh, dollar signs attached to it, uh, obviously, you know, there's going to be so much writing on it that the director is not going to have nearly as much control. And again, he's just leasing the vehicle. Whereas Knives Out, right. this is his vehicle outright. He built the vehicle, you know, put all the parts together, and it's his vehicle, and he, it's his to own and drive. And so my um, comparison would be that Knives Out is to Ryan Johnson as Royal Tenenbaums is to Wes Anderson. Uh, you could see, when you see Royal Tenenbaums, you see Wes Anderson just come out on screen and yeah you could probably throw in life aquatic as well but i i would say i sure. think all of our listeners would agree that uh royal tenenbaums is probably wes anderson's strongest film because it is so much of his dna in it and i would argue that is the most wes anderson movie out there I'll right say, i'll say that yeah because he wrote and directed it and i would argue that knives out is to ryan johnson sort of in the in the same vein right so i uh I I can't stress to our listeners how much I love this movie. Uh, do not walk into this expecting a spectacle, right? Um, you you have to pay attention during the entire movie, but paying attention has payoff, and I think that's what you really need to to know about this. I walked in. If you watch a who, right, like Clue, yeah, kind Clue. of thing, which. I like to compare the movie to because it has very similar themes. It even calls itself out sometimes, you know, talking about like the clue board and everything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, comparing the house to that. Uh, but it's not clue. You know, it, the, the bottom line is when it comes to the actual uh, sense of the film, clue had a incredible cast for the time. It was uh, instantly dense and actually had fairly tight writing and an ending unlike any other movie at the time. And all that was based off of a freaking board game, right? Yeah. This is um, what I would say our generation's clue, but it is not the same kind of movie. It just gives me the same feelings in the gut that clue did all those years back. Yep. Um, So, 
Uh, there's not one person in this movie that didn't enjoy making it. Uh, there's not one moment of this that isn't out of Ryan Johnson's grasps. And uh, I, I think that overall, I'd probably give this movie um, only in... I, I would give it an A. I think probably give it an A minus. And the reason why is not necessarily because uh, I don't like any aspect of the movie. I was in love with this movie. I think there's a relatability component that if you don't like Ryan jo Johnson's style of storytelling and the the kind of ability to relate to the the subject matter in any kind of way, then uh, then you'll probably have difficulty fully embracing what this movie is all about yeah uh so i and i i think that's there's a lot of that with the difference between critics and moviegoers right um so i'm i'm going to take a step back and get off my high horse for a brief moment because i think in my opinion it deserves an a but i give it an a minus just because of the sheer relatability of of the material and everything uh what, what do you think yeah i mean looking at it like trying to remove myself from the whole Ryan Johnson aspect of just putting myself in the shoes of an average moviegoer that they don't even know who the hell Ryan Johnson is. Um, you know, just because they might've seen star Wars, they don't know who the director is. They just, Oh, it's another star Wars film, right? There's too many of right. them out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I think from that perspective, I'm kind of torn. Like, uh, yeah, I want to give this movie an a, but, I feel like an A minus is probably more suited because the only thing about it was I kind of felt like that the the uh, the grandchildren in this movie were kind of underutilized. I feel like the the granddaughter was, but the the grandson, I mean, he was just there to be made fun of, and um, you know, and he's basically the quiet kid, the the stuttering one from uh, from it, and I I feel like he didn't really have a whole lot to do there other than just kind of be a prop. So, you know, maybe right. by writing in a, f a few more scenes, it probably would have added to the longevity and made the movie longer. Uh, but that's just a minor criticism. I, it's a good criticism. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I loved everything about this movie, and I feel like if I watch it again, I know I'm going to give it a higher rating. So, yeah, I'm just going to go for it, and I'm going to give it an A. Right on. I think uh, I think those are the kind of best movies that make you think about what kind of rating you're going to give it. So yeah that's uh he made, he made us think all the way through giving it a letter rating yeah. which is a <laughs> testament to that movie's capability very much so well that is it on all the time we have today so carl want to thank you again this was a lot of fun uh definitely Absolutely. look forward to seeing more movies with you as well as mountain girlfriend hopefully and uh having some beers afterwards because that was definitely needed to sort of oh, yeah. digest all of what we had just seen and, uh, yeah, so, uh, listeners look forward to that. Look forward to my review on Ford vs. Ferrari next week, as well as another review on Mandalorian episode five. Uh, but we want to thank you for listening to us today. Uh, feel free to check us out on social media. You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, that is at sensibly loud on Facebook at sensibly loud media and stay tuned for next week's episode of sensibly loud radio. <laughs>